have your Bibles, you can go to the book of Ephesians. As you know, this past week, we were in the book of Ephesians. Uh, this past week's camps went great. I look forward to next week telling you uh, some of the things that took place uh, throughout this past week with our local missions. Of course, we've got a lot to recap. We've had the Jamaica team go and the Jamaica mission trip. I know they've been chomping at the bits to tell you about everything that took place there in Jamaica. Uh, and I just felt like it was a blessing to be able to come on the heels of that foreign mission trip and then do something locally. Uh, and you guys did a great job. Again, thankful for the team that came. Uh, truly, it took partnership in order to do the ministries that were done. There's no way we could have pulled off what we did this past week without extra help. But speaking of help, I want to recognize this morning, and when I call out the category that you fall into, I want you to stand. If you participated this past week in local missions trip in helping with any of the camps tangibly, whether it was as uh, one of the helpers or whether you helped prepare meals and serve meals, I want you to stand up, please. Come on, don't be shy. If you participated in that form or fashion, stand up. Now, I also want to ask if you prayed this week for our local missions. If you prayed this week for our local missions, please stand up. All right. Praise the Lord. Guys, give them a hand. Awesome. Hey, the reason I do that, it takes a whole church. All right? This isn't just the five on the front line. This is everybody. This takes community Baptist church to do foreign missions and local missions. That's a church. The diversity of the body, the differing gifts, working together to edify, encourage, and you're equipped to do that work of evangelism. So, a great week. Again, look, uh, looking forward to, to next week sharing some of the stories that, that happen. I mean, there's some, some good stuff. And uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll uh, hopefully get that to you next week. Be praying about that as we look forward to, to next week. As I said, we were in Ephesians, so if you were uh, each day this past week, you know, last Sunday, Cameron started us off with Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, Tuesday, we were in Ephesians chapter 2, and on down the line, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, on down the line, and we covered the whole book of Ephesians. If you also, how many of you do Word of Life Quiet Times? Raise your hand if you do Word of Life Quiet Times. Okay, good. If you're not doing Word of Life Quiet Times, please get one. You want to be on, on board. It's so cool how... A lot of times what the Spirit of God is doing within this local church is being played out on the Scripture pages that we're reading as a collective whole in this church. And so, for example, this past week we were in 1 Peter, and we'll look at some passages here in just a second, that were overlapping with our study in Ephesians. Prior to that, or right about thereabouts, it, I, I knew I had a one-Sunday filler, all right, because we finished the book of Jude, we had that team come in and preach this past week. Next Sunday, we've got recap on missions. So I knew I had a one Sunday filler, topical sermon. Felt led to do something on the family. Well, guess what we hit on in Ephesians uh, this week? Guess what we hit on in our quiet time of Word of Life this week? We talked about the dynamic of husbands and wives in the family. And so I just love it when God, you know, puts a plan together. Uh, it's pretty cool. And so I want to share with you some of that this morning. What I am sharing this morning, I'm going to be upfront, transparent. There is nothing new under the sun. We know this, right? There is nothing new under the sun. This little booklet you can order from Grace to You. All right? It's called Answering the Key Questions About the Family. If you want to 
really brief 10-page read on the family, this is a good little pamphlet, little booklet to pick up, and I think you can get it for free right now if you sign up for their mailing list. But go to gty.org, you can get this little booklet, and uh, I recommend you get it. The sermon this morning is taken straight from this pamphlet. All right, I'm just going to hit a few little of the points that are in here that I felt like are very applicable and needed. And, uh, and so if you want more, this is what you can, you can do. Check this out. It's a, it's a good little read, and you can knock it out. And Anyway, all right, one sitting. We'll, so biblical family, here we go. Check it out. Um, again, here's the, here's the pamphlet. If you didn't see it, couldn't see your eyes, weren't that good, maybe that's good enough for you to see it. And uh, check that out if you get a chance. So... Introduction. In this little pamphlet, MacArthur also he says, the family was God's first earthly institution. Before there was a government, and long before God instituted the church, he ordained marriage and the family as the basic building block of society. You do realize there's only three institutions that God has put his stamp of approval on. The family government, and the local church. Now, we partner together with a lot of parachurch ministries, Wayne Christian School, a lot of mission organizations, True Justice International, pregnancy centers. We, we, we support a lot of worthy causes, and those are great. They're great institutions. But from a biblical worldview, guys, it's vital that you understand there's only three institutions that God has said his stamp of approval is put upon in the sense of, I'm going to be careful how I say this, that he orchestrated, he ordained, he set the standards. He says this is how it's to function. If you want it to function well, here's the playbook. Maybe that helps clarify. And the first of these was the family. Now, if you want a good study in this, I recommend some of you have been through the Truth Project. Raise your hand, you went through the Truth Project. We've been here years ago. Some of you should remember that. Man, maybe it's time for me to go through it again. The Truth Project is an excellent, excellent biblical worldview study. I would say the best worldview study I've ever participated in. Um, and in that study, he talks about the biblical truths and principles of the government and how when God's in his rightful place within a government body, that that government thrives. That when God's in His rightful place within a family, that family thrives. When God's in His rightful place within the church, that church thrives. You know, one of my favorite quotes from MacArthur is that God, Jesus is no longer Lord of the church. Jesus is no longer Lord of the church. The unregenerate sinner is. It's a sad statement because we live in a day where people don't care what Jesus had to say about how the church should carry out its function. They want to know and take their cue from the lost man. Now it's a noble cause. What can we do to reach the lost? What can we change about us that will cause the lost man to want to come to our church services? Now that sounds noble. But guys, that's not God's play. That's not His plan. That's man's plan. It's a man-centered plan. Jesus is no longer Lord of that church. The unregenerate sinner is. 
No, Jesus is the Lord of the church. He is the head of the body. And so if we're going to do church life the way it's supposed to be done and it's to thrive, then we must look to our head, Jesus Christ. He is head of the church. God has ordained things to function with differing responsibilities. He has designed His institutions, organizations, organisms. The body's alive. So by the way, we're different than an organization. You, you understand that, right? We're an organism. We're, we're the living body of Christ. And He has structured us in such a way that He's the head. We're hands, we're feet, but we obey the head. Christ has given us the instructions that we need uh, to not only um, follow His lead in government, the church, but within our families. So I want to look at this morning specifically the family unit and uh, look at some things that God has said, about, uh, said that we are to follow in regards to His Word. MacArthur said the destruction of the family we are witnessing today is, I believe, a harbinger, a forerunner of the ultimate collapse of all human society. The more the family is threatened, the more society itself is in danger of extinction. We're in the last days. Nothing shows that more graphically than the deterioration of the family. Guys, that is a true quote. I mean, think about the breakdown of the home. Go back in history and look at statistics. Now, again, please understand, when I hit on things today, it's not to, not to pick at a, a wound or a scab or something that Christ has already healed in your life. I'm just giving you the truth of Scripture and recognizing some historical facts. And sometimes I recognize in sharing the truth in love that sometimes people can take that the wrong way. My intention is not to offend anyone, but simply to proclaim the truth in love. God hates divorce. He says that. And when we go back in history and we look at statistically the increase of divorce rates beginning secularly in our society, but now within the professed body of Christ is at an, is at an all-time high. Now, I understand recent statistics have said that maybe that has dropped off, and that's probably because less people are getting married and cohabiting together, and so that would cause the stats to go down. But the point is, God hates divorce. And yet we can look back and see uh, uh, almost an a, uh, uptick, if you will, of divorce rate in our society. The breakdown of the home. Kids being raised without fathers. On Father's Day, I showed you a bunch of statistics. If you want to go back and listen to the Father's Day message, it goes right in line with what we're talking about this morning. Some of those uh, statistics are staggering of how many kids grow up without fathers. In the home. And so the attack of the enemy was very strategic. If he can destroy the home, he can destroy the society. And he's been doing a pretty good job, church. And so we need to make sure that we are preparing ourselves. We're guarding our hearts, we're guarding our homes, we're guarding our church family with the biblical truths, taking the whole armor of God, putting it on against those fiery darts of the enemy so that we might stand firm in the battle. So let me talk first off to husbands and wives. 
Husbands and wives. Let's start there. Everybody go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians 5, 22. Brother Dean brought a great uh, devotion this past week uh, from this section. And so I uh, appreciate that, those who did the devos this week as well. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, the body, his body. And he is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, I pray for the reading of your word, the preaching of your word, the teaching of your word, that it will find place into our hearts. Lord, be our teacher this morning. You're the head of this body. And Lord, the body needs to hear from you. We need instruction. We need direction. Uh, Lord, we need understanding. We need application. So, Lord, have your will and your way in our families, in our homes. Be Lord of our lives. Be head of Community Baptist Church for your praise and for your glory. In Jesus' name. There's a key passage, if you're going to understand this, and it's back in 521. In fact, the way the Greek reads, there's no verb there in 22. And so in order to understand the passage, you have to back up in the original to understand the intent of this section that we often quote at marriages, at weddings, right? So 521 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands, Wives, submission is not a bad word. It's a God-ordained word. Now, our society has messed that word up. There's a terrible understanding when you have radical religions 
using the word of submission, and it's more of an authoritarian, a dictatorship of wanting to oppress and suppress and make people listen and obey. And that's not the intent of this word. Many men, even within the church body, have used that verse 22 out of context from 21, demanding, woman, submit, which is not the intent of why God put this here. Submitting to one another out of reverence of Christ. When we recognize who we are in our identity in the body of Christ, when we recognize who we are in right standing with Christ, in Christ, our hearts are changed. Our hearts are transformed. When the love of Christ dwells richly in our hearts, submission to one another is a privilege. This is Christ washing the feet of His disciples' submission. This is men loving our wives as Christ loved the church and gave His life for her. <laughs> what woman doesn't want that? Women, ladies... You respect Christ. The scripture says that you are to respect your husband. This is right and pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Well, my husband, you don't know the things he does, the things he says. He doesn't deserve my respect. I don't remember reading if he earned it. Grace is a beautiful thing. None of us earned grace is a gift. It's given to the ones who least deserve it. You're most Christ-like when the loving submission to a husband is in line with a scriptural example of Christ Himself. Submitting to one another. That's how this thing's possible. This is how this plays out in the Word of God. 1 Peter 3, 7 was in our quiet time this week, in our Word of Life quiet times. And again, overlapping as, as the Lord was preparing this message for us. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I... I know we live in a day, and it's a confusing day. I, I can't figure it out, guys. I, if you can figure it out, please let me know. On one side, the, the liberal media and the left wants to say, there's no such thing as gender. While at the same time, fighting for women's rights. Are you confused? <laughs> I'm very confused. I don't even know if I need to step outside the house anymore. I mean, you know... It's a confusing message. This is why we don't listen to society in the latest talk show programs or the political pundits to determine how we are to live our lives. No, everything we need for life and godliness is found in the Word of God. The authority of Scripture is foundational for your living. The authority of Scripture must govern our thoughts because I can promise you, you and me have differing thoughts. We have differing takes on things. 
And so if we're not careful, we begin to develop convictions and worldviews not based on authority and principles found in Scripture, but upon the latest blow of the wind, the latest guru who gives some nice interesting blog or article or Facebook meme. Guys, our souls are to be anchored to the unchangeable truth and authority of God's Word. And He Himself has said that everything we need for life, to live a godly life, you have it. So then the problem must be in my lack of implementation of it. Three concepts found in that passage that we just looked at in 1 Peter 3, 7. Three things I want you to take away. Notice, the first one is consideration. Consideration. When we think of husbands, because I'm talking to you right now, husbands, when we look at the wife, the Scripture says, ladies, I didn't say this, God said this, that we're to dwell with them with understanding. I <laughs> said, so, wait a minute, Lord. I've been married how many years? I still don't understand some of these. Okay, just showing some grace here, asking the Lord for some help, right? Dwell with them with understanding. Here's how. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. We need to be sensitive, guys. We need to be understanding. We need to be considerate, Right? She's a weaker vessel. Now, that's not a slight, ladies. Trust me, you've seen how us men deal with the children. Oh, come on, rub a little dirt on it. You'll be fine. Suck it up. You know, that's, now not all men are that way. I understand. But there is there's a difference in our wiring, is there not? Again, I don't care what society says. There is a difference in our wiring. My level of compassion, nurture wasn't factored into my DNA. It was within mama. It is within the ladies. Now I recognize sometimes because, I think because we live in a fallen world, sometimes that little chemical dose might be a little different in, in one than the other, and sometimes we're a little skewed, uh, chemically speaking, that might cause some of us to be, some women a little more hard and some men a little more soft, and that's okay. Like men, Jesus wept, and he's the man, godliest man, he was God, but he was the manliest man ever to walk the earth, and he wept. It's okay to shed a little tear sometimes, all right? You won't lose your man card, I, I promise. We must be sensitive. God is telling us, men, if you want to love your wife, agape, you want to, you want to know how to love your wife a little better, sometimes we're going to need to die to self, be a little more sensitive. A little more understanding. Be a little more compassionate. Men, again, I don't care what society tells you. I got about cussed out one time because I held a door open for a lady coming through. Oh, she could take it herself. She didn't need no help from a man and a few other choice words as she waited till I walked in. But you know what? Your wife is a, a weaker vessel. They're designed in such a way that, that there's chivalry needed, men. We've lost chivalry. Young men in the room, we need a return of chivalry. Men, we need to be teaching these young men chivalry. A major part of our headship is our responsibility to protect her, to care for her. 
to give ourselves for her. That's part of our responsibility. Now again, you can argue with this, but the fact remains, this is how God designed us. This is what we see playing out within the role of Scripture. We are equal in the sight of God, but we have differing roles and responsibilities. You know, I joke about this all the time. I'll say it again, because I think it's the most practical illustration that gets the point across. Men, I don't care how well you think you could birth children, that's not your role and responsibility. And some of y'all are saying amen. And Rhoda's saying, just let me go, please. I'm just ready. <laughs> y'all keep praying for Rhoda, all right? Get you, get you across that finish line, girl. Let's pray her through this week. But no matter how bad, Kendall would want to take her place and said, I could do this. And I know he wouldn't say that. <laughs> it's not his role. That's not how he's designed. That's not how God made him. But why is it that we live in a day in a society that society is pushing the narrative and teaching ladies to forsake the God-given role as if it's something negative? Do you all understand that he even says in the, that the word of God would not be blasphemed? God knew, God knows all things, and He knew that we'd live in a day when ladies, women, would actually stand up and try to demand their rights and try to take on roles and responsibilities that God said, no, that's not how I designed you. And so in essence, it's a thumbing of the nose at God Himself. And ladies, that ought to make you mad. Just like every time I hear a, a homosexual, and I'm not here to, to browbeat anybody, but it makes me mad when I hear homosexuals try to say that their suffrage is the same as that of, of the African American in our country. No, I'm sorry, that is not the same. And if I'm an African American, I'm mad as fire that they would even use that as, as the same type of argument. A sexual choice to engage in a sexual activity is not the same as being born into this world. Now, I believe people are born with a sin slant in the homosexual community, but to willfully choose to act upon that sin choice is a completely other thing. There are many people born in this world with a sin slant to be promiscuous. You understand? There are many people born in this world with a sin slant to want to commit adultery. You have to choose to actually engage in that act. Now the thought may run through your heart and mind often. And Jesus said to look at a woman and lust after her in your heart is the same as committing the act. So again, those secret places of the life, those sexual sins that take place in the hidden recesses of the heart and mind, God very much sees. But let's don't compare the two apples and oranges. The Word of God does make clear that women have a role and a responsibility before the Lord and that it's given and that they understand that if they obey that, that they learn not to blaspheme the Word of God. And that's important to understand. The third thing is communion. Marriage is designed to be a close partnership, a uniting of two into one. And notice again here in this passage, it says... Um, 
Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as a weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. One of the things that's talked about in premarital counseling often, and we hit on it really hard. Those of you who've been through our premarital counseling, you know this because we preach this really hard. My wife and I will sit and reason with the couples and say, all right, now look, you're coming from two different family units. I know what your natural reaction is going to be on your first fight. And your first fight's coming. It's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when. And some of you won't even make it out of the church before you're having your first one, all right? <laughs> but the point is that when you have these moments, there's biblical principles that need to come into play. The first principle you have to understand is leave and cleave. And we really push this hard. Sometimes we push it a little too hard that we scare people away like they think they're supposed to move away and never talk to their parents again. That's not what we said. <laughs> but you and I know, and in fact, it's funny, this past week with the team that was here, we had an opportunity where they wanted me and Allison to sit down in the hot seats front and center, and all these college and career students began to fire questions at me and Allison. They wanted to know a little bit more about us and our life and how we met and all kinds of things. It was great. We loved it. It was good. We just tried to be an open book before them to try and give them some, hopefully, some, some counsel and ideas, pitfalls to avoid that we stepped in, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll never forget, you know, we, we were telling them some of the fights that we had, especially early on in marriage. We're taking my jacket off. It's getting hot now. <laughs> so, uh, whoo. Yeah, that's right. Let me... Let me pause for a second. Think about this one, right? Okay. Yeah. But I, 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 we told them the story of how we were in Bible college, brand new married students. I was working third shift security at the school. And you got to understand at the time, Piedmont, and I told the guys this. Of course, this is a step up. I had a metal chair. That was my office in the parking lot. That's where I worked. So it didn't matter if it's raining, sleeting, snowing. That was my job in college for a while, out in the parking lot, sitting on a metal chair, which was always a little scary during the lightning storms. <laughs> but my wife was the breadwinner. She had already graduated. She finished the year before I finished in college. And so I had a whole year of college left and so she was the breadwinner. She was the one bringing home the bacon. I guess I was supposed to fry it up in the pan, right? And so my little job was just enough to kind of keep the fire burning. That was date money. And basically my check pretty much covered me and her going out to Ken Pie Japanese Steakhouse. That was our favorite restaurant in Winston-Salem. Winston I'm sorry. And it's a bad town, but I love it at the same time. as Anyway. We would go out there about once a month, and my little paycheck is about all it covered. Well, I'll never forget one night I came in. I had a 7.30 class after working the graveyard shift. I would go to that class, and then I would come home, man, and I was crashed out until, you know, had to get up for my afternoon class or whatever. So I'm already cranky. I'm tired. I come in. She's getting ready to go to work, and the laundry had not been finished and I needed the laundry because I needed clothes because it's really awkward when you show up at school without any clothes. And so that was our first argument. Why the laundry wasn't done, and you know I got, and blah, blah, blah. And so this is our first little spat. 
And I remember it got so contested in that room. And by the way, the walls were like paper, so you heard when everybody was having marital problems at Piedmont. I mean, Dean and Bobby, if y'all don't know if y'all lived in that, don't, but y'all know what I'm talking about. It was like everybody, well, it looks like the Petersons are having another problem again. You know? And so, and it was like, oh, I just, I knew I was going to say something or do something in my anger that I just, I, I just left. I just walked out. I went, I went over to the guy's dorm. And I went to my good friend, Dr. Mel Winstead, and I said, dude, can you just take me for a cruise? I need to cool off a little. Which, by the way, this was what I was sharing with these guys. That's bad. You don't do that. You don't let other people in your married business unless it's a pastoral council who God has given to the church to help the families. All right? Ladies, you'll get this when some of you have you know, already gotten this to come through premarital counseling. You don't go to your girlfriends. I just don't understand him. I don't know why he did. And guys, you don't like, yeah, these women. No, we don't do that. That's not how you honor your wife. Now, again, I'm being transparent. I learned the hard way. And I'll never forget, again, blowing that, messing that up, and, of course, having to come back and apologize. And, of course, I, I told those guys, I'll tell you, the makeup part's always good. But anyway, we'll leave it there. We don't want to, in our marriages, hinder our growth in Christ. Your prayers are hindered when you have these fights and you don't resolve them. So guess what we adopted after that? A principle according to Scripture. We would not let the sun go down on our wrath. Can I just encourage you families, husbands, wives, you may be practicing this already. If you're not, implore this. Because again, this is instruction from the Word of God. When, not if, when you have disagreements. Because Christians have disagreements. They don't have fights. They have disagreements. When you have disagreements, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And so we've since adopted the principle, and I can tell you, again, being transparent, there have been a few times along the way that literally we get into bed at night, I'm facing that wall, she's facing that wall, but we both know i got to make the first move. God's told me I need to deal with this. we got to talk it through. I'm not going to sleep until I talk to her. Meanwhile, I got to deal with this. I got to talk to him. I can't let the sun go down on this wrath. Yeah. Pre pretty good impression there. I okay. Anyway, yeah. But what that's done, what that's done for us is it causes both, both of us, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God at work in our heart, brings conviction, so that usually what ends up happening is we both roll over at the same time and say, oh, we need to talk about this. Not necessarily, but somebody always initiates because we have to. Somebody's got to. Sometimes it's her, sometimes it's me. And if that means we've got to sit up for a while and talk about it, we're going to talk about it. You do not deal with your problems by the silent treatment, avoiding each other, that's not how you solve conflict, guys. Well, preacher, I know I need to suck, calm down. I'm going to say something I regret. Well, if you need to take a little stroll, that's fine. If you need to cool off, that's fine. But don't let it 
close out the day without being dealt with. It's a biblical principle. Marriage is designed to be a close partnership. You are two who've become one flesh. You are one in unity. Your prayers need not be hindered because one of you is harboring bitterness or ill will towards the other in these moments. Talk those things through. Husbands, love your wives. Ladies, see that you respect your husband. These are things that we find here. Children, we'll talk to you a little bit. Um, the children. Ephesians 6, let's look, let's look there. Again, uh, these are just some principles, little things we've drawn out from this week from our uh, time in the Word of God in Ephesians and also in our Word of Life quiet time in uh, 1 Peter. So let's take a look in Ephesians chapter 6. And you'll notice in verse 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents. Now notice what it says right here because you don't want to leave it hanging right there. This is the key phrase. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That applies to the husband-wife relationship too. Ladies, I never once said submit to your husband if he's beating you, mistreating you, or doing things that's outside of the will of God. Never are you to submit to that. God never intended for you to submit to that. But men, if we are leading our homes as we should in Christ, then yes, Submission should follow. Children, same thing here. If mom and daddy are doing things or asking you to do things that's outside of the revealed will of God, no. We're to obey in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers... Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This week we did a lot of outreaches. I'll tell you a little bit about this uh, next Sunday, Lord willing. But in our outreaches, one of the things that we've done is walk people through the commandments. And it's to hold the law up as a mirror so that people might see the sin that's within their own hearts and feel the conviction of the Spirit of God and see their need of a Savior. Because we're all lawbreakers. We've all transgressed. We, we, we all were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so it's a way to reveal this to us. And so one of the things that we would often ask when children would be around, you know, is hit on the commandments. Have you, have you always obeyed your mom and dad? <laughs> of course not. We've broken God's law in this area. Children, we are to obey. Why must children obey? Because they lack maturity in four major areas of life that are essential for independence. So I want you to see this. Again, this is coming from answering the key questions about the family booklet. I want you to consider what's said in Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So consider these four major areas of life, and I'm going to kind of unpack these for you. Four major areas of maturity needed for children. Children, pay close attention. Parents, pay close attention to this one. This is what we should be working with our children in order to help gain independence for them. One day we set them loose. Some of you set them loose and they keep coming back home. You understand? <laughs> but here's what we need to work towards. Children need growth in mental maturity. They lack wisdom. They lack discretion, instruction, and knowledge. Parent, that's your responsibility. 
Again, I serve on the school board at Wayne Christian School. I am the uh, adopted red, uh, red-headed stepchild at Wayne Christian School because my kids are homeschooled. And so often I get asked, well, well, and again, by default, I serve as community Baptist church pastor, therefore I have a seat at the board, blah, 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 blah. But guys, here's the same. Whether your kids are in public school, whether your kids are in Christian school, whether your kids are homeschooled, the responsibility never changes. It still rests with the parents. It's the parents' responsibility to know what the kids are learning. It's the parents' responsibility to ensure that the kids are being taught wisdom, discretion, instruction, and knowledge. That's our responsibility. And so they need mental maturity. Children also lack in the area of physical maturity. It's their parents' role to protect them. Again, a child can't defend themselves against the big bullies of the world. It's our responsibility to make sure that they're protected. We're the ones who watch out for their safety. We just recently got a puppy. Now, you know my story, those of you I've talked to. The picture I got sent by my brother, because they knew we wanted a German Shepherd. We've been saying, you know, if we get another dog, we'd like to have a German Shepherd. So my brother's uh, wife, she's, uh, she owns Mountain Patrol, which oversees Lake Burton uh, Lake in, in the northern Georgia mountains, beautiful lake. And so they run like a, a, a police officer type patrol boats and houses and things out there. And so she owns that and he works for her. <laughs> How would you like that, man? She's his, anyway. Um, they knew we wanted a German Shepherd dog. And so she has connections on purebred German Shepherds. So they send me a picture of this puppy. Oh, my soul is beautiful. This little cute little puppy, with, and he's sitting there on the, on the kitchen floor just looking all pretty. I'm like, yes, I'd love to have it. So we work it out. My brother drives it up, drops it off at my mom's. My mom comes the other week and brings not the same puppy in the picture. <laughs> she brought Clifford, the dog. I mean, this thing is huge. I don't know if I need to get a saddle so the kids can ride it. or I mean, this thing is like ginormous. I'm not kidding. Uh, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And he's a puppy, though, in his mind. And so nobody else walks him in the beginning. I mean, they do some now. We're trying to work. But, but in the beginning, it's like nobody else was going to mess with this dog. I had to be the one. So at 7 a.m. in the morning when they're howling and wanting to get out, and, you know, and i got to hook up the lease. And I'm not kidding. This thing jerks me all around the yard. He's huge. But I had to protect the kids. It's like literally when they would come, I was like, no, 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 stay back. Because he wants to jump, you know, he wants to get up on you, he wants to lick your face. But dude, he about knocked Allison out twice with her just trying to pour water because he loves to do this little head thing where he pops back and surprises you. You know, it's like, I'm here! You know, <laughs> she's been hit like twice uh, anyway. So I got to protect them, you know, so it's like, stay back, stay back. And, and so we've been working with that. Guys, same thing. You, 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 you've got to protect your children. We need to know the dangers around them. Now, look, we live in an oversensitive society. You know, oh, you've got to ride, ride your bike with your helmet, and you've got to wear your elbow pads. And, you know, and all of us are like, <laughs> man, I didn't grow up with a helmet. We were like downhill, you know, just getting it. And nothing wrong, nothing, nothing wrong with me. <laughs> but there are some, there's some wisdom, obviously, with some of the things today. But protect your children. What's some other things we need to know? Children lack social maturity. 
It is difficult to teach a child how to share. <laughs> I won't name my child. I was getting ready to. It's, it's, it's difficult, right? It's difficult. This is my stuff. I paid for it. Yeah, this is our mentality, even us big kids. But we need to. What to we need to know what to say at appropriate times. We need to teach them how to, how to uh, be humble. We need to uh, teach them these things that don't come naturally. Because again, we're born dead in our trespasses and sin, right? We're sinners by nature. I would ask this week when we were doing the Q&A, you know, you're not a liar because you tell lies. You tell lies because you're a liar. We're all... I know that's a... Oh, that's not, that sounds like friendship evangelism. Uh, it's, it's again, we are all sinners. We've all broken God's law. You say, well, I'm not a murderer. Ever hated? You ever hated someone? Oh, I just can't stand it. Guess what? God says if you have hate against your brother without, that, that you are guilty of murder because God looks on the heart in our, in our thought life, in our hearts so we're murderous in our action. That flows out of a fallen heart. That flows out of a sinful heart. We are thieves by nature. That's why we want to take things that don't belong to us when we're babies and children, right? Yeah. Good little sinners, right? I mean, they are. That's what, that's what, when we're parents, that's what they are anyway. Well, they're good little sinners. Yeah. But we're sinners, and we need a Savior. Finally, children need spiritual maturity. A child doesn't just grow naturally to love God. Little children can comprehend God, but without proper instruction. Uh, Proverbs 22.6 is the parent's responsibility. Right? Train up your child in the way they should go when they all want to depart from it. Again, that's not to say they don't walk away from the faith, but they'll never walk away from what you've poured into them, what you've invested into them. When it's biblical truth, they cannot outrun God. Where can I go? The psalmist said. If I make my bed in hell, I cannot escape you. They cannot escape the truth that you pour into them. Parents, it's our responsibility to raise our children in these areas. It's our responsibility to invest in their lives. Instruction and discipline. Fathers, we've got to be careful we're not provoking our children to wrath. In a study conducted less than three decades ago, sociologists Sheldon and Eleanor Gluick of Harvard University identified several crucial factors in the development of juvenile delinquents. They listed four necessary factors in preventing juvenile delinquency. And according to their study, 90% of people who put this in play kept the kids from going down that path. Here's the four factors in preventing juvenile delinquency. The father's discipline must be firm, fair, and consistent. Dads, that's on us. Our discipline must be firm, it must be fair, and it must be consistent. The mother must know where her children are and what they are doing at all times and be with them as much as is possible. Again, we're wired different. God intended for us to carry out differing roles and responsibility to complete the family. And when we are functioning in our God-given roles and responsibility, we stand a better likelihood of raising successful families for the cause of Christ. Number three, the children need to see affection demonstrated between their parents. 
I take full advantage of this anytime I get. It grosses out my children. They love seeing mom and daddy kiss, kiss, hug, hug. Guys, we got to do this. Ladies, got to do this. And so they need to see this demonstrated with their parents and from their parents to them. Okay? So daddies, give that teenager a big hug and peck on the cheek today on the way out and just embarrass the snot out of them. They love that too. The family must spend time together as a unit. I know we live in a busy world, gang. I know we all got things to do. Can I encourage you? Find creative opportunities to take advantage of this. So you got to go do some chores. Got to go do something. Got to get some business done. Can the kids come? Take them. Listen, we, we go do visits. Now, sometimes I take them in, sometimes I don't. If I'm going to the hospital, a lot of times they'll ride with me. They'll stay in the lobby of the hospital and spend time. But we're all the way up together. Sometimes we go out and grab something to eat afterwards. Sometimes it's just the ride to and from that we're able to have family interaction time. Now, I recognize my job is a unique situation that affords me that privilege that some of you don't. And, and I'm thankful for those opportunities. But you can find opportunities. You've got to prayerfully look for them. And if you're not sure, ask God. And if, it's, if you can't find them, then maybe you need to ask God to free up your schedule somewhere along the way. The family unit needs it. Especially if we're going to take back our culture and society. Five key things to right parent-child relationships. Parents' love for each other and for their children. Discipline. Consistency. A good parent, a parental example and a man at the head of the home. These are key factors. I realize for those of you who are single moms trying to raise your children, um, this is difficult, but let me encourage you. Find men in the church who love Jesus Christ to be role models. Men, when you know that we have people in our church body who do not have fathers who are actively involved in the home and in their lives, it's our responsibility as a church community to be father figures, mentors, leaders in the lives of these young people. And we must do that. How bad is it? U.S. News and World Report states these facts. One in four children born have no father to welcome them at birth. Only 40% of children grow up in two-parent families. A million children each year go through divorce. Nine out of ten will stay with their mothers. And when he is present, a normal dad gives his children only three minutes of time to them with his undivided attention. Men, we got to do a better job. The leadership role God's entrusted to us is time that we step up, man up. Lose the man buns and let's get going for the cause of Christ. Sorry if you have a man bun. I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I'm just using that as a hypothetical. Anyway. We need godly men. Grandparents, you didn't think you're getting off the hook, even though there's only a minute left on the clock. We're going to overtime. Hang tight, grandparents. Grandparents, Psalm 103:17 says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. Grandparents, you have a vital role. It's an important role. But you need to understand your role and responsibility and not overstep your boundaries. If there's anything I run into, oftentimes, whether it's my own personal life or whether it's in counseling with others, grandparents, you had your turn at raising your children. 
You need to respect the boundaries of your children, even if they're different than your boundaries. Allow them the room to make mistakes. Allow them the room to do what they believe is best for the sake of their children. But you be a spiritual influence. And that's one way you can show that spiritual influence. Not going against the wishes of your children, even if you can't stand what they're doing. They're responsible. But you're responsible before God to ensure that they're getting biblical support, biblical back, backing. And so find ways to undergird that teaching of righteousness. Grandchildren, according to Proverbs 17, 6, grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of children is their fathers. We also find in 2 Timothy 1, 5, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also, Paul saying to Timothy, a godly grandmother had great influence on that future generation. Grandmas, keep pouring Christ into your grandchildren. That may be what God uses to bring forth increase later in their life. Keep being that godly example to them. Lead in that area of pouring and investing godly things into the lives of those grandkids. Deuteronomy 4.9, only take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. The teaching responsibility rests within the family. You have this responsibility, grandparents, as well. Teach your children's children the things of God. Proverbs 13, 22, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Again, guys, principles of Scripture that we can find throughout that emphasize the importance of living a godly life, setting an example, and, living, and leaving a legacy. Titus 2, 2 through 4. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. We have to model the godly example, making disciples, pouring into the next generation. Church, that's our responsibility. So application. Take the time to make memories. And all the hospital visits I've ever gone to when somebody's laying on their dying deathbed, never once have I heard a person say, preacher, I wish I'd have worked more. Preacher, I wish I'd have made more money. Preacher, if I'd only got that beach house. Man, preacher, I, I always wanted to get a bigger home and I never did. Man, preacher, I never got that bass boat. Oh, if only I, I would have golfed more. But you know what I hear? A lot. I wish I had more time for my family. I wish I'd have made more time for my family. I'm worried about my family. I'm not worried about me, preacher. I know where I'm going. I'm concerned with my family. Pray for my family. Guys, because in the end, you know what really counts? Family. Family's what counts. 
and the church of God, the, the body of Christ, we are family. We are family. We're a family unit. And that agape love that unites, it unites us. And that's a love that's even greater than the love within the family unit. I love my mom, I love my dad, I love my brothers, I, I love my cousins. But you know what? Those that don't know Christ don't share the agape love bond that you and I share. And that's an important bond because that's an eternal bond. Take time to make memories. And you can do that by redeeming the time. I want you to hear this video clip from James Dobson and we'll close. Or maybe not. You got it? All right. topic I want to talk about today and tonight it is memories of my father my dad was a man of prayer some have heard me say that my dad spent so much time in prayer on his knees he was known in the little town where he was a pastor as the man who had no leather on the toes of his shoes because he spent so much time praying I've got several dozen memories at two. Um, my dad had to remind me of this, and then I vaguely recall it. My little bed was in the bedroom with my parents, and it was so tight that my bed was right up next to them when I was two years of age. And my dad said that it was not unusual at that time to awaken in the middle of the night and hear a little voice that said daddy daddy and he would say what Jimmy and I would say hold my hand <laughs> and I would put my hand out and he would search for it through the darkness until he found my little hand and he said the moment he found my hand my arm became limp and and uh, I had obviously gone back to sleep. And I always looked for him that way and thought of him as just wanting to know that he was there because I found security in him. And I want to tell you that the happiest days of my life, or some of them anyway, were spent out in the woods with him. We'd get up in the morning, crisp and cold, and put on our hunting clothes, our hunting boots, and get out in the car. The sun hadn't even come up, and we would drive out to the place where I called it the big woods, and I, we'd sit there and wait for the sun to come up. And He was mine out there. He was different with me there than he was anyplace else because he was, he was relating to me, his son, and uh, it made me want to be like that man. It made me want his values for my values and his thoughts for my thoughts and his God for my God. 
And I learned it at the feet of my father. And he was that kind of man for me. That was a Father's Day message that Dobson spoke and felt like it was a, a good fit for here. Whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, we got to invest our lives in the next generation. And they need an example of Jesus Christ in their lives. Will you be that example? What's God asking you to do today in response to this message on being a biblical family? I want you to just think about that. And I want you to make a choice to be more active in the discipleship of your family. <coughs> Invest your life in those you love. Let's pray. Father, as we close, I just pray that the Spirit of God will search all of our hearts. Everyone that's here, Lord, we're, we're from family units. We love our families. Uh, Lord, it's challenging at times. But it's the greatest challenge we'll probably ever face. Loving and raising godly children is our desire. Grandkids investing in their lives. As children, no doubt, Lord, I pray that they look to their parents, to uh, the influence of godly grandparents as examples help us be examples that our sons and daughters would say I want to be just like mom I want to be just like dad I want to be just like grandpa I want to be just like grandma because our love for you is so great that everything else pales in comparison Lord forgive us we fall short too often too many priorities crowd out the things that are most important. And we don't usually realize these things till the end. Lord, help us to realize these things now in the present. And Lord, ignite within us a passion and a desire to redeem the time. Take back the years the locusts have eaten in our society. And Lord, I pray for the men in this church, the dads in the homes, the granddads. Lord, ignite within us a warrior spirit, a, a passion for the cause of Christ to become real godly men that we might lead. We might lead this church, lead our community, lead our homes again for the cause of Christ. And for the young men in this room, help them to see through the lies of this day and age in which we live and let them look to the authority of scripture and have their hearts and lives shaped by you Lord their heavenly father and if there's anyone here that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior then I pray that today would be their day of salvation that today they would bow their heart in full surrender acknowledging Jesus Christ as the resurrected Lord and Savior of all. Thank you for the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. It atones for our sins. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. May we know Him today and be known by Him. Lord, help us as we go and enjoy this time with family until this church family meets again.
be with us. You protect us. You keep us safe. You instruct us with your wisdom and lead us in the path that we should go. And we'll give you the praise and all the glory because we ask it in that name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.